The following is a paid presentation. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the staff and management of Shiawassee Radio. Okay. So, in 2017, Ann Arbor Legal, which eventually became McManus and Amadeo, was floundering. We were doing estate planning. We were doing civil litigation. We were not doing well. It was just not a great time. And Scott Grable one day gave me a creme case. Never did creme all my day in my life. And the creme case he gave me was a media case. And Scott didn't know that at the time. And I said, what do I say to the press? He goes, what the hell are you talking about? Some of you guys know that case, and that's history, had it all evolved with crim law. But then what Scott did was he sent me to county, to county, to county. And I learned the lay of the land in Washington, I learned the lay of the land in Wayne, Macomb, Jackson, Lenaway, blah, blah, blah. But then I landed up in Shiawassee. And I can't explain it, but in Shiawassee, I just always felt like home got cases in 17 counties right now 17 counties and Washington we're going to talk stereotypes right now okay Washington is a money county make big money on cases or you take case on principle I'm not going to get into specifics but you know what I'm talking about uh, Wayne is like the Wild West what I love about Wayne County is you can just do anything in crime law and people are just going to be excited by it. Shiawassee is a different language. There's a reason I go 90 miles for cases in Shiawassee, and it's because I always felt like Shiawassee, when I was a nobody, opened up their arms and heart to me. There's this Italian guy from Jersey who grew up in this bad neighborhood who you guys just accept as one of your own. And I always appreciated that. One circuit court judge, who's an amazing circuit court judge. One badass prosecutor. And the community, I always felt like I'm one of you guys. You know, I really do. I love Shiawassee. Shiawassee means a lot to me. When I see people take shots at Shiawassee, it gets real personal. That 90-mile drive feels like it's a 10-minute walk around the corner. I really just feel good in Chi-Town. And as my public perception has grown, I always remember those first cases in Shiawassee when I learned so much because... Shiawassee, to me, as a criminal defense lawyer, if you learn how to do it right in Shiawassee, you could do it anywhere. Because Shiawassee's standards are high. And they should be. If you could do it there, you could do it anywhere. And I never realized that going from county to county was so offensive to so many people. You know, um, it really is. But that's the only way I knew how to do things. That's the way Scott taught me how to do it. And that's the way I did it. That's the way I do it. And that's why I'm always going to do it. Now, in the last couple days, I have gotten 
easily 500 texts, emails, and calls about what's going on in Shiawassee. And I don't know what's happening, guys. I, I don't know. You hear a bunch of different stories. Here's what I'm going to say. And I'm going to be brief. I'm going to be as clear as I can on this. Shiawassee is a special place. And there's this amazing pocket of talent, right? And then there's this, what I call a deviant group. We know who the enemies are. And with this amazing talent, this amazing talent is turning against each other right now. Both sides of that talent pool have arguments that they feel are valid. And because I really care for both sides of this pool, not only am I not taking sides, I'm trying to get involved. But what I am going to say is this. I was asked to do this live today, so I'm going to do it. Okay, Jim, jail, motions. It's been a normal day for me. But I'm just going to go watch bowl games today. If I could play any role in repairing the social media wars in Shiawassee, I want to do that right now. Because, guys, when both sides of this equation are against each other, the real enemy is winning. We know who the enemies are. We know who hurt Shiawassee County. We know what they did. We know the dictatorship they had. We know their disrespect for our courts. We know the disrespect for the community. We know who took money. We know who scammed the system. They are the enemy. So my plea to everybody right now, on both sides, is that we try to work as a team. We get back to that point where we want to kick the enemy's ass and not our own asses. I really care for you guys a lot. And Emily, you're right. Everybody needs to take a deep breath, deep breath. Remember what this was about to begin with. This was about a corrupt board of commissioners, not to about Marley Webster. This was about people screwing people over at FOIAs. This was about a small pocket of morons trying to control information, paying excessive legal fees, and not caring about what's really needed in Shiawassee. We know who the enemies are. We cannot be enemies amongst ourselves. So, guys, it's New Year. Come on. Let's put that brilliance back together. Let's work as a team. Let's stop shooting ourselves. And let's aim at the enemy. If we take all your brilliance and put it into one playbook you guys are going to win and you're going to get justice but every time you guys fired each other those ass that stole that money and compromised your community they're winning they're sitting back and laughing about this so i love you guys anything to, i can do to help i will but i'm telling you Work as a team. Let's get where we need to be. All right. Happy New Year, guys. This is your cell. This is your bunk. This is the jail visit.
on Shiawasi Radio, live from the Cofield Oil and Propane Studios. Here's attorney Bill Amadeo. I am Bill Amadeo from, um, what are the two? McManus and Amadeo and Grable and Associates. And today we are doing a live on sports topics from back home and a tribute to John Madden. And I'm getting a lot of shit from the live audience today. You're on fire today. I'm getting a lot of heat. The live audience said, one of the members of the live audience said, who the hell is John Madden? That pissed me off. Because John Madden was f***ing amazing. Okay. Before we start. Before we really dig in here. First, I want to send a shout out to Ashley Duplessis. Our good friend. She is not inner circle of our brilliant dysfunction. But she is certainly important to the team. She's got a big trial coming up. Ash, you're going to kick ass, man. You're a damn good lawyer you you're ready for this and trust me you're gonna see just how talented you are take it one play at a time jason whitney what's up my friend joe abera john madden is a legend how are you gonna handle this joe so today this is content for the jail visit so if you tuned in for criminal law advice man getting really screwed over but uh yeah i didn't want to talk crim today I will answer a couple criminal questions that came in, but today I just want to talk sports, man. You know, I just want to talk sports about my youth growing up, and the death of John Madden kind of hit me hard. He was such a big part of our life, and there's some stories I will tell today, but John Madden was an absolute legend. Joe Abera, you nailed that right there, and he's going to be missed. I will tell you about my first Super Bowl memory. We'll talk about some other sports things that came up. And you know, guys, you know, this morning I go to Lenaway, got a client that gets picked up last night. Boy, I tell you, Lenaway, it was a weird place, huh? It was just weird today. And I love Angie Borders. Everybody knows that. Angie Borders is a role model to me. But that place is really interesting. I get to Lenaway, I go to the Sheriff's Department, and I show my bar card. They said, oh, wait, you're Bill Amadeo? I'm like, yeah, we thought you were taller. What the hell does that mean? I thought I was taller, I guess it's a compliment. I don't know. I'm 5'7". Running with that. They thought I was taller. It's a strange thing. Then when I called later, they got really annoyed. They asked for the arraignment date. I know. You get pissed off when criminal lawyers want to know information about their cases. I understand. Love you, Lenaway. It's just really... Nancy Eaton Gordon is a great criminal defense lawyer in Lenaway. So, for your criminal defense needs, go to Jackson Eaton Gordon. You don't have to call Amadeo. You really don't. That 46-minute drive you can't take on the highway is a pain in the ass sometimes. What's up, Tyrone Bridges? How you doing, my friend? So, you know, I was thinking about John Madden a lot last night. And I was in Lenaway early. Then I was wrecked with emotions today. I hit the gym been a tiring day, I guess. I don't know. I know people are taking time off, and we're, we just keep going. You know, sometimes we need to reinvent ourselves, guys. And sometimes we don't. Think about that. The other night, I'm watching an Eagles game, and I'm watching Rocky. 
And I'm thinking, even though I talk about this complex history from the past, the only thing more South Jersey than watching an Eagles game and flipping back to Rocky would be if I had a White House cheesesteak sub in my hand and I was polishing off with a cherry marina water ice. I mean, good God. Does that scream Italian from South Jersey? What the f***? So, despite all this animosity towards New Jersey, the reality is this. Where we come from, it's always a part of us. You know? And I think anybody that leaves their environment has a very complex relationship with their past. And I certainly have that. But one thing from the past, one thing kind of always brought us together was John Madden. That's what we're going to talk about right now. John Madden, in my opinion, was the greatest football announcer you could ever hope for. He just made the games better. And when him and Pat Summerall were doing a game, you knew that was the game you had to watch. Now let's go back to the 80s for a minute, So I'm a little kid. Back then, there was no direct TV. You couldn't just watch every game. You know, you had a game on NBC, you had a game on CBS. Later in time, you had a game on Fox. But the game with John Madden and Pat Summerall, that was the national game of the week. So you shut everything down to watch that game. And it was like they were part of your family, you know? You're watching the game, and here's Summerall and Madden. Both gone now, unfortunately. It just made you feel right at home. Scott Grable called me a couple days ago. And Scotty was like, on Christmas Day at 2 o'clock, Fox is doing this special on John Madden. And you gotta watch it. I'm like, yeah, you're damn right I gotta watch it. Unfortunately, I was working on Christmas Day. I was working. And I DVR'd it. But it was almost like Fox subconsciously knew, or maybe it wasn't subconscious, that Mr. Madden was near the end. So I wanted to do this really amazing special on him. And it just talks about his whole life. I mean, he went from being a player who was not a very good football player, okay? He used to joke how he got cut from team to team, but then he got right into coaching. And coaching is where John Madden really took off. I saw on Scott Shardnoff's um, Facebook page how he posted all the stuff about John Madden being a big Raiders fan. John Madden was the symbol of the Oakland Raiders. And in 1976, they beat the Minnesota Vikings in the Super Bowl. And shortly after that, Coach Madden went into announcing. And you can argue announcing he was even more successful than he was as a coach. He just became the voice of America. I remember being a real little guy, right? Yeah, and we're poor back in the duck town, blah, blah. You've heard a lot about that. Super Bowl 16. That was the first Super Bowl that John Madden and Pat Summerall did. And it was Joe Montana's first Super Bowl. The 49ers beat the Bengals 26-21. to And it was an amazing game. And this is like, I'm real little, and this is one of my first memories of watching football. And I remember Aunt Mare worked a banquet at Caesars Casino. And she brought home the Super Bowl 16. It was the playbook they gave out. 
and I used to read that book so religiously. Like, it was, like, one of my prized possessions. Years later, we won a big case for Grable and Associates, and Scott got me the ticket subs from Super Bowl sixteen. And Super Bowl sixteen, it's kind of important to me because, I mean, historically, it's Joe Montana's first big win. But it's one of the few times I remember my family, and I'm real little, I remember the game specifically. I watched it years later, but we're watching the game. And we're at peace watching this game. And it was really a special thing. And Pat Summerall was the voice of that game. John Madden was the leader. Summerall was the voice. And to me, that was like one of your first sports memories. It was so cool. And imagine the first time you did anything. Imagine. Yeah, Emily, I watched it over and over again. I know where you're going there. I don't appreciate that. Emily Thomas, you watched Super Bowl sixteen. He's trying to say I'm old. Thank you, Emily. Anyway. It's on NFL Network, by the way, if you really care to watch. God, people taking shots at me today. I didn't shave either. You want to mention that? I went to Lenaway without shaving today. Maybe that's why they confused my height. So Joe Montana gets his first win. John Madden does the game. It was really a special game. And I always go back and I study that game. It was one of the first memories you had of sports. And imagine your first memory of something you really love. And somebody who you admire was like narrating that thing. And that narrator followed all the big games of this thing you loved throughout your whole history. That's what John Madden was to me. It was just a special moment, man. And to see him gone... It's really sad. He lived a great life. Goes deeper than that, though. When I was in college, I've never been a gamer, okay? So let me start with this. For those of you guys and girls out there that are gamers, I'm not a gamer. Um, haven't been. In fact, the only video game, other than the old Pac-Man and Hubert, the old retro things, but the only video game I ever really followed on the computer was Madden. Madden video, Madden's football game. My best friend back home, Henry DeHedeville, Q. We were in college, and we'd be working hard. We had our jobs in college, and we used to spend late nights playing Madden against each other. And it was pretty cool how, you know, you could hear Madden's voice on that video game, and it was special. And then we spent many nights at Q's house late at night talking about the future you know um he was going to be a pharmacist i was going to be a lawyer we weren't back then we were poor college kids and the madden game was like kind of a way for us just to be like people just drinking a cup of coffee shooting the shit. that's what me and q were doing that it was special that madden was a big part of that then my first big case when i was working with tim McElwain in new jersey which we're not going to talk about Jersey litigation right now, but it was against the Madden video company for when they weren't paying the college players. So I was still in law school working on that case. So in a lot of ways with Madden, my first memory of sports was Coach Madden. Um, the college years, figuring out the game plan with Q while playing Madden. 
the first entree in the litigation was about the Madden case. So Madden has always played a special role in my life. And I'm going to miss him, man. It's not going to be the same without him here. He gave us so many awesome memories. I don't think anybody who's truly a sports fan can say they didn't enjoy listening to John Madden and Pat Summerall shoot the breeze and teach us what was going on in football. Because they were tutors, too. If you played ball, you would learn a lot watching them. They break things down on the chalkboard. It was pretty, it was intense. It's hard to believe. You know, it's like a part of your childhood, part of your life. It's gone now. And, um, yeah. It's really sad to hear the news. I had a couple friends from law school, um, Cooley Crew Tax, we call it. And Adam Cartwright, who's a great lawyer out in Missouri, he sent the text that John Madden had passed away, and I immediately sent it right over to Scott Grable, and then it started like a game of telephone. It was spread like wildfire, and spent hours talking about John Madden and memories of him. And I want you to think about this. Here we are. I'm in my 40s, AC, Adam's in his 40s, Scott's in his 50s, there were guys in their 60s, there were guys in their 30s, and here's like this generational gap, and we're all sharing a moment of all our memories of John Madden throughout the years. It was pretty cool how for a sec we all like came together, we were all adding insight. I don't cook or anything like that, but it would be like a bunch of chefs just sitting around adding an ingredient to a thing. Emily, um, he was 85 years old, so I don't think it was anything suspicious. I just think life, you know, I think that's how he passed away. Led a great life. With the death of Madden, one of the things I came up with in the text messages was other sports memories I had. You know, in a lot of ways, sports has always been more important than law to me. If it wasn't for Carl Smallwood... Carl Smallwood was a guidance counselor at Atlantic City High School. And Carl Smallwood said to me, senior year of high school, what do you want to do with your life? And I was torn at that point. You know, I uh, kind of realized I wasn't going to play Division One baseball. That was going to happen. And I said to Mr. Smallwood, well... I'd like to get into sports casting and sports writing, or I'd like to be a lawyer. And he said the only chance you have to do anything would be in sports. You don't have the grades to be a lawyer. You're not smart to be a lawyer. You know, I had dyslexia. I was battling and still getting good grades. But So because Carl Smallwood told me I couldn't do it, I decided that day law was going to be my whole thing. So thanks, Carl. <laughs> I guess, but... One of the reasons I wanted to get into sports casting was because of John Madden. The reason I the law thing overcame was because of Carl Smallwood. Pay careful attention to that. You're not going to hear a lot of Carl Smallwood stories coming up in the future. God, he was a fucking asshole. Yeah, just. Mm. But anyway, Carl Smallwood said I couldn't be a lawyer. Mm. Oops. I usually point to the scoreboard. But I'm going to point to the autographed Mike Tyson punch out on the wall right now. 
to show that despite all the success, I still have this heightened level of immaturity. So, I'm sure somebody who knows Carl Swalwood's watching this, and if you tell, if you see him, tell him Bill said hi. So, on that note, with John Madden came other sports memories. And one figure that was really big in our house was Jim Valvano, Jimmy V. A lot of people may not know who Jimmy V is. Um, I know the live audience didn't know who the hell I was talking about. You've heard of the V Foundation. Jimmy V, I think he died in 93, cancer. He gave that amazing speech on ESPN, don't give up, don't ever give up. Then you know who I'm talking about, right? Okay. So Jim Valvano, Italian guy from New York. He coached the North Carolina State Wolfpack the 1983 NCAA National Championship and they beat five Slamma Jamma, which was Houston's team, led by Akeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler. On paper, North Carolina State had zero chance to be in this game. Now, why was that such an important thing to me? Well, let's start with this. Where we grew up, really poor, right? And we only had, I think, 12 channels. Went from channel, like, 2 to 13. And channel 2 was, like, cable access. That was bullshit. So you had, like, 12 channels, right? For whatever reason, and I don't know why, there were three college basketball teams that came on regularly. Villanova, which made sense because that was close enough to Atlantic City. That was, like, Philadelphia's team. Maryland. I don't know why Maryland came on, but I always was a terp, kind of a supporter because of that, and North Carolina State. Jimmy V was the head coach of North Carolina State. So there was always this huge connection to Jimmy V. You know, I'm sure being the Italian basketball coach played a role in that in my family, but you would hang on Jimmy V's every word. He was more than a coach. He was a personality that was just bigger than life. And in some ways, not to the same level, I guess, but what John Madden was to football, Jim Valvano was to college hoops. So I kind of lost track with Jimmy V. You know, you're in school and you're this and you're that, and then the guy passes away. But his speech on ESPN, watch it if you haven't, Jim Valvano's speech about when he was dying of cancer, it was powerful. And it kind of stuck with me when my mom was dying of cancer. You know, he just talked about facing fear and how to stare anything down and nothing in this world could really intimidate you if you don't let it. It was one of the most powerful speeches you ever heard. And it kind of... Have you ever watched a 30 for 30 on North Carolina State and Jim Valvano? It's called Survive and Advance. And it's amazing. It talks about how North Carolina State just kept surviving one more game. And they kept advancing and advancing and advancing. Then they won the whole f***ing thing. It was always like a motto for life, you know? If you get through this one f***ing hurdle and just move on to the next. My Uncle Sam, may he rest in peace, great guy. We were talking baseball one day. and He was like a mentor to me with baseball. We were talking about the Phillies and the Dodgers in 1977. 
the NLCS. And back then it was a best of five, right? And he was teaching me the history of baseball. And the Phillies were down two games to none. And they were up by two runs in the ninth inning of game three. And my uncle said they should get Steve Carlton warmed up in the bullpen. Now, Steve Carlton was the best pitcher in baseball at the time. And the Phillies end up losing. And they say to Danny Ozark, who's the manager of the Phillies, why didn't you get Carlton up in the pen? And Danny Ozark said, well, he was going to pitch game four. Guess what, guys? You don't win game three. There is no game four. What do we take from that? I just got to live for today, man. You don't know what tomorrow's going to be. You just don't know. When you're like in criminal law or in life, you might have to win the hurdle in front of you. And winning that hurdle in front of you, it may hurt the next hurdle, but we don't know that. But we can't get to that next hurdle unless we win that one. If we don't win game three, we don't get the f***ing game four. Survive and advance about the North Carolina State Tar Heels of 1983 was just that. You got a star player that's got a bunch of fouls, and you want to take him out. But if you take him out, you might get too far behind. So you just got to roll the dice. Sometimes in life, we just got to roll the dice. Jim Valvano has played a role in my life. His speech, his quest for life, the way he coached basketball, there was something special about Coach V. And I just thought it was appropriate to talk about him a little bit today with the whole John Madden thing. And then there's one other sports story that kind of hit home. When Buster Douglas beat Mike Tyson. Now, some of you guys are too young to really grasp that one, but Buster Douglas was a 42 to 1 underdog. And most sports books in Vegas would not even take action on this. At that time, Mike Tyson... By the way, I'm a Tyson fan. I love Tyson. But if you don't like the Buster Douglas story, you don't like life. Buster Douglas trained his ass off. His mom died prior to the fight. He had no chance in hell. And he went out there and he kicked the shit out of Mike Tyson. Now, it was on HBO. We didn't have the money for HBO back then. So, here's what I remember. My grandfather, may he rest in peace. Grandpa was a pro boxer. Tough son of a bitch. Tough man. Toughest man I ever met. So, we can't afford HBO back then, but what we could do was if you turn to a certain channel, it would come in scrambled. So we're trying to watch it through the scrambled vision, and we pump up the volume really loud. And when Buster Douglas knocked Mike Tyson out, when they got to eight, my grandfather and I just looked at each other and we shared like this moment that will last forever. We knew he wasn't getting up. And it was like, here's history. And you know, for a second there, you forgot how poor you are. You forgot about the gunshots at Pitney Village. Forgot about all that shit. You were just living in the moment, watching through a scrambled TV, and watching Buster Douglas absolutely 
pull off the greatest upset in sports history. And I will debate that with anybody. I know people say, well, this was the greatest. That was great. Let me tell you something. When Buster Douglas knocked Mike Tyson out in 1990, that was the greatest f***ing thing you could ever hope to see in sports. It was a moment in time nobody could ever take away from that, man. And all I could say is, thinking about John Madden's death made me think about the Buster Douglas fight. Made me think about Jimmy V. And it just made me think. <laughs> Joe Abera, Bill, you need to know a guy that knows a guy that could have hacked the cable box. Well, Joe... <laughs> We did know that guy, but I'm pretty sure he was doing some prison time at that moment. <laughs> one Fun fact. One of the reasons, and I'm never one to like, I'm not a big Flash guy, I'm pretty low maintenance. One of the things I splurge on, Joe, because of that Mike Tyson fight, I have every channel known to man. If Boise State is playing an exhibition game against South Dakota, I promise you I have access to it. It's one of the few things I flaunt the money on. Because I said to myself, if we're watching that fight, this is great, but imagine we were able to actually watch it. Mm. And Emily Thomas, who that would be is none of your concern. <laughs> I'll end by saying this. Brett Musburger, who was a great announcer, I saw him um, recently. He's doing Raiders Radio. I think he's 83 years old. And seeing Brett Musburger, it made you think of the past. And I saw Brett Musburger sitting there, this 83-year-old man with a backwards baseball cap on, doing the game. So, in honor of Brett, Honor of John Madden. We're going to flip the baseball cap on backwards. I don't drink, but if you have a drink, toast to the great guy. Rest in peace, Coach Madden. Thank you so much for all the memories. And thanks for being a part of our world, man. You really made life better. When we were in pain, you helped us escape for a little bit. When we were in joy, you made us really enjoy that moment. You're going to be missed. You'll never be replaced. And we all owe you a debt of gratitude. The Jail Visit with attorney Bill Amadeo from McManus and Amadeo. Connect with McManus and Amadeo at McManusAmadeo.com or call 800-392-7311. This is The Jail Visit on Shiawassee Radio. I have a bunch of questions that have been sent to me. And I want to go through them. What I've learned as we evolve with this whole podcast and Facebook Live thing is the reality is that the questions people are asking should really be the topic. So I'm going to try to adjust to that. Can you explain phone dumps to us? Sure. So a phone dump happens when somebody is accused of a crime and the police feel there is evidence on the phone. 
Now, what some crooked officers will do is they'll try to get consent from a kid who doesn't know they can say no. You should make them get a warrant. Next thing you should do when you get a phone dump is fight to get the phone back. Then you want to get an expert from the Michigan State Police Department who will bring text messages back to life. Because what you want to do, guys, if the phone went to the police, is show, did the police actually violate that dump? Did they violate the dump? And if they did, then we have a fruit of the poisonous tree argument. So let's keep that in mind. Phone dumps happen in two ways. Either you consent to have somebody check your phone, or a warrant's done for your phone. But you are entitled to your phone. you got to fight to get that thing back. Not an easy task. Here's where the police, things get tricky. The police can use mischaracterization. In essence, the police can lie to get to the truth. We see this with entrapment hearings. Um, we see this with pretext phone calls. A pretext phone call is when an officer will actually have somebody read a script to try and get a confession out of you. Um, we see this with polygraphs all the time. You know, the police will say, we understand what's happening here, we're here to help. Understand something. You should never talk to the cops without a lawyer, ever. Let's start with that. But when the police lie to get to the truth, that becomes an interesting theory to present to the jury. But the cops can lie to you with no repercussions. Now, they can't hide evidence, they can't compromise text messages, but they can verbally lie to you. You really have to go after that officer on the stand if and when that happens. There's actually no penalty for verbal lies to a defendant. <sighs> Next question. My uncle is facing 25 years to life. He made a confession. Well, he didn't actually make a confession. The police signed a confession for him and he initialed it. Here's what I think you meant to say. And I could talk more about this privately with you. What I'm guessing, and I'm sure you were emotional when you sent the email, is that the police actually wrote out a confession. He initialed it. See it all the time. Here's the thing. Don't ever make a confession. The most powerful tool a prosecutor has is a confession. You confess, you are basically signing your death warrant. We have a joke at our firms, if there's under three confessions, we feel good about our case. The third confession, fourth really hurts things. But the question becomes, what is a confession? Was it coerced? I know there's this one Michigan State Police polygrapher, um, an ass with two first names, who likes to create confessions for people and poor souls sign it. It was really good to stick it up his ass usually get a case dismissed on him when he pulled this shit. But he really, it wasn't what I wanted. I wanted to beat his ass at trial, but he kind of ran with his tail between his legs and wouldn't answer my emails. What you'll see a lot of times with cops that write confessions for people is they'll usually lawyer up and won't have the balls to talk to you themselves. So if you're f***ing watching, you are a f***ing pussy. 
and I would never let anybody do a polygraph with you. And I hope to God one day we get to go against each other. In Bumblefuck, where my case was dismissed, that crazy little prosecutor did everything in her power to make sure you didn't go against me on cross-examination. By the way, if you want to know where the guy who did the written confession is right now, I think he's at dinner or a movie. So, enjoy that. He's not on the set registry he's not in jail he's not in prison despite the average of you piece of shit. and when you write confessions for people poor idiots do not know the criminal justice system will sign their fucking life away do not agree to anything you didn't do and if you make a confession there's ways around it but it's the most powerful tool you can give a prosecutor Confessions can come verbally, they come by nodding your head, they could come from pre-Miranda silence, they could come when some asshole writes down their words and you sign off on it. First thing the judge is going to say, if they didn't do it, why did they sign it? Fair question, right? Really fair question. Don't do it. Question, what happens when the prosecutors don't tell you about the evidence? Well, that becomes a potential motion to dismiss. And the individual who wrote that, that is going to be one of the motions that are going to be filed on that particular individual's case. Um, discovery is an ongoing process, which means they can keep supplementing their evidence, but they can't actually hide evidence. And in the particular situation you're referring to, there was an accusation that there's more evidence out there that was not received by defense counsel. Um, it could lead to a dismissal or a very beneficial plea, so stay tuned on that. Can you explain hypothesis testing? Okay, this is really big in CSC cases. Um, hypothesis testing is basically using an analogy. You're trying to create a hypothetical through impeachment to test the, to basically test the officer when there is no physical evidence. What we're really looking at in those scenarios is similar situations where maybe the officer didn't do all their homework or they did their work differently. You want to do a hypothesis of what's been done in other cases to try to discredit the individual making the accusation. Hypothesis testing is a very huge thing. And I would say 95% of lawyers don't know what the f*** it is. So. Make sure you know what that is, especially in CSC litigation. Was involved in a car accident. I was not at fault. I did not have my driver's license. The prosecutor is charged with a 15-year felony. What advice do you have? Okay, number one, what county are we in? That's a county-specific question, and we could talk more about that privately. Number two, yeah, I think you want to use um, Tim Brown as an accent reconstructionist. I know there's a lawyer I did some work with, Danielle Cattery, who knows a really great construction reconstructionist. What you have to do, guys, is try to recreate the scenario. And you have to go through Dalbert hearings and such, but you need to show the jury there's another theory behind the case. Was it a dirt road? Were there cameras? Were there this? Were there that? In essence, you are creating enough scenario 
for the droid to try to bite into. You're trying to give Kreedus that term reasonable doubt. What do you think about civil litigation and criminal litigation as companions? Okay, well, here's the deal. Whenever somebody sues civilly before a criminal case is done, it's great impeachment material. Because the motive is money. When we're talking about the motive being financial, obviously, if there's a guilty verdict, the alleged victim slash complaining witnesses have, we're going to benefit financially. Um, civil litigation prior to the criminal aspect, that's something a good defense lawyer will use to their advantage. My loved one has been found guilty and he wants to appeal. What should he say at allocution? Okay. Sentencing. If there's been a guilty verdict. I've only been there a couple times in my career. It's not a fun place to be. Your client needs to shut the f up. This is a young lawyer who sent this. Um, and I know the case. I know it's your loved one. But I know it's what you're phrasing. But I know what case this is. And I know you're the attorney on the case. And we're going to keep it. Keep your name out of this. But listen to me. You've got to put a gag order on your client. From what I understand, the defendant has several great appealable issues. If they apologize or say something they think is going to help them and it gets construed as an admission, you're going to burn your appellate issues. I once had a case. <laughs> I had this case. I was doing for a friend. Got a friend of a friend, got stiffed on it, blah, blah, blah. Had a great deal on the table. This guy made confession after confession. And he, he had his problems. The jury came back with one not guilty and one guilty verdict. And I told him, I said, you have 12 amazing appealable issues. Shut up at sentencing. Don't say a f***ing word. And he says at sentencing, did I rape that bitch? No. Did I threaten to slit her throat? Yes. Did I threaten to kill her? Yes. How's that going to look at the Court of Appeals, bro? No matter how hurt you may be over a verdict like that, say to the judge, Your Honor, thank you, I have nothing to say this time. If the judge hammers you, they hammer you, okay? But if you're looking to create an appeal, silence is golden, guys. Do not allocute. Let your lawyer allocute. But do not allocute in a situation which is going to hurt your chances to win your freedom back. If you're in that appellate zone, less is more. Shut the f*** up. Next question. How do you do a proper sentencing? Okay. We're talking state court, federal court. What county are we talking? There are Cobb's agreement in place, there are Killebrew in place, there's probation trying to blow you up. There's a lot that goes into that. Let me be clear on this though. You should always do a sentencing memo on a felony sentence. Federally, you have to do a sentencing memo. A sentencing memo 
is something that tells the jury, sorry, tells the judge there's something more to the story. You try to put your client in a good light. Now, sometimes your client is not going to help themselves. You've got to prep them. And then after you prep them, you got to hope, hey, listen, I told you everything to say and do. Hope they follow through with it. If you're at a sentence and it's on a plea, be humble, be contrite, let your lawyer do the talking, have a good sentencing memo, have letters of support. That's how that plays out. That's in a nutshell, okay? What do you think of video sentencing? Okay. Um, this is a topic Ashley DuPlessis and I talked about today, actually. Um, Ashley DuPlessis is a great young lawyer, Wayne County area. And she has a sentencing coming up, and she's doing a video sentencing. I always feel video is more powerful than the verbal word. I think when you actually see a video, you are drawn more into it. So video sentencings have a lot of weight. They're kind of cutting edge. I know Ash is one of the ones at the forefront of that, but video sentences can be powerful. Make sure you show the court what you need to show. Make sure your video is clean, but I think it can be a very powerful tool if done correctly. If done incorrectly, it's going to hurt you, but if done correctly, it could be a great topic. I'm accused of CSC in Livingston County. I have not been charged yet. Do you have any advice? Yeah, call Bill McQuarrie. If you're in Livingston County, um, Bill McQuarrie is who you should be calling. Maybe the best trial lawyer in the state, and he's the king of Livingston County. If I was charged with a crime in Livingston County, I would go to Bill McQuarrie. So look him up. But uh, Bill McQuarrie is a great option there for you. Good luck with that. Uh, if it was anywhere else, I would tell you I'd be the option, but I think in Livingston, you want to go with Bill. Are reviews for lawyers accurate online? Well, that's a, <laughs> that's a good question. I get a lot of calls because of some of the reviews I got. Now, understand, there's something what we call um, haters. Hater is sometimes another lawyer that puts up false reviews about you. you got to be careful with that. If somebody only has positive reviews, it's probably bullshit. You're going to get some negative ones. I think the most ridiculous review I had was a one star from this A.S. McComb. And I represented his ex-wife. And I won her case. And it was a drug case. And he wrote in the review, this piece of shit got my baby mama off and she's a drug addict. That could be taken a few different ways. Anyway, with that being said, you know, I mean, you want a case, you got a bad review. In this field, reviews are very subjective. They're often very... Yeah, there's a lot of bullshit that goes into reviews. I have tons and tons of great reviews online. I appreciate that. But don't believe every review you see, good or bad, about a lawyer. What advice would you have for a third-year law student? Okay, here's the deal. Your third year, you should be focused highly on bar prep. Do not do bar prep for 10 weeks. You should make it a whole year project. When you get to the third year, to use a baseball analogy, you're in scoring position, okay? 
um, your grades and your electives your last year are nowhere near as important as passing that bar. So you should start doing light bar prep. Hugh Reed's a great bar prepper, um, Reed Law Group, and he always used to tell us one point a day. If you look at the bar like one point a day, you will kill the bar exam. People fail the bar because they get overwhelmed. If you break it into small increments, and by doing that, give yourself more time. You know, and another thing, a lot of times I see this with people who have relationships in other states. If let's take Cooley for example, if you've been successful at Cooley and you miss your loved one and you decide to move back to another state, you're doing yourself a disservice. So third year law students, don't change what's been successful your first two years and start bar prep early. We can obviously talk a lot more, but that's what I would say for now. Does it bother you that you defend gangbangers? Does it bother you that you defend drug dealers? Does it bother you looking at the person you've become? Signed, your Ventnor baseball teammate. You didn't put a name down. That could be a number of assholes. He keeps saying, does it bother you? Does it bother you? Does it bother you that your wife was probably more sexually aroused looking at my Google reviews than the two times a year, you fucker? I fight like hell for my clients, and I care for every client I have. So just because you read something on Google about them, you don't know a fucking thing. And if it is the asshole I'm thinking it is, who lives five minutes from where he grew up, because he have the balls to leave the state and take a real job, Anytime you want to do it, bro, you let me know. But no, it does not bother me being a criminal defense lawyer. Alright, I'm Bill Amadeo. I approve this message. Happy New Year, guys. The proceeding was a paid presentation by McManus and Amadeo PLLC. Listeners of this program should contact their attorney to obtain advice with respect to any particular legal matter. No listener should act or refrain from acting on the basis of information within this program without first seeking legal advice from counsel in the relevant jurisdiction. Only your individual attorney can provide assurances that the information and your interpretation of it is applicable or appropriate to your particular situation. Listening to this program using any associated website or related links or resources does not create an attorney-client relationship between the listener and host, contributors, or contributing law firms. All liability with respect to actions taken or not taken based on the contents of this program are hereby expressly disclaimed. You and your loved ones deserve a criminal defense firm that believes that your life and freedom are worth fighting for. Matt McManus, Bill Amadeo, and the McManus and Amadeo team of attorneys, investigators, and case managers will take the lead with a vast knowledge and legal experience across the state of Michigan to get the best possible result for you. Learn more at McManusAmadeo.com. Schedule a free consultation 24-7 by calling 800-392-7311.